concept of prayer itself is amazing. Prayer is the ability to stand in time, yet send your words into eternity. Prayer is speaking on earth, but being heard in heaven. Now think with me for a moment about the scope of responsibility that God has. God is the God of everything that's been created. God is the God of everything and everyone because all life comes from God. And everything God created, the scripture says he upholds with the word of his power. That means anytime something threatens what God created, he sends a word to uphold it. Ooh, I'm going to say that again. Anytime something threatens what God has created, he sends a word to uphold it. He's the God of everything. He's the God of everyone. I know, I know he's your God. I know he's your personal God. I know you have a relationship with him. But understand that God is dealing with more people than just you. Understand that God is listening to more people than just you. Understand that God hears people that you don't like. God hears people that are not of your political persuasion, not of your race, not of your gender, not of your culture, creed, or kind, not of your city, not of your state, not of your nation. He's everybody's God. There are people who don't agree with you as far as it pertains to theology. But he's their God, too. To have a small just approach to understand this, let me use a weak analogy. It's not this, but it's kind of like this. The mayor of San Antonio is everybody's mayor. Whether you like him or not, whether you voted for him or not, if you live in San Antonio, he's your mayor. Now, take that small example and use it when you're talking about God. He is the God of the whole universe. He's God over you, whether you agree with him or not. He's God over you, whether you believe him or not. He is the God of the believer. And let me surprise you, he's the God of the atheist. Because not believing in him doesn't make him any less God. He's the God of the Christian. He's the God of the Jew. And yes, he's even the God of the Muslim, of the Hindu, of the pantheist. Ezekiel 18.4 backs this up. God says through the prophet, all souls are mine. Psalm 24.1 sums it up this way. It says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell therein. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying everybody's saved. I'm saying that there's not a person on the face of this earth that does not fall up under the jurisdiction and the responsibility of God. Because we all belong to him means we're all going to have to stand before him and give an account and be judged. But there won't be another judge when you stand before God. God is the only one. Whether you believed in him in your life, whether you surrendered to his plan of salvation in life or not, you're not going to be dealing with anybody else when you die other than God. He's God over everybody. He's God over my generation and relative to me and the people that are my age and stage. Yet, at the same time, he's God over my parents' generation. Yet, at the same time, he was God over my grandparents' generation and relative to them. And he was able to be relative to all three of us at the same time without ever changing who and what he is because he's consummately relative. He's relative in San Antonio this morning and he's just as relative in Uganda. He's relative in any language, to any stage, to any culture or kind because he is God over 
all. Everyone who has ever lived, he was God over them. Everyone who's living now, he's God over them. Everyone that will live in the future, he is God over them. He's God over the unborn, and he's God over the recently deceased. He's God over heaven. But the scripture tells us in the book of Job, he's even God over hell. Job records that Satan himself had to come into heaven's courtroom and give an account to God, tell him where he had been going and what he had been doing, because even the underworld bows to the nature of the divine authority of God Almighty. He's God over it all. And think of the responsibility he has. Think of the content he has to fill his understanding with in order to govern all the particular things and people that he has created. The scripture says in the book of Daniel that he rules, he governs over all the kingdoms of the earth. Think with me. He's God over the aquatic kingdom. Not just God over what's on the land, but he's God over what's beneath the surface of the waters. Scientists say there's still possibly four million different species we have never discovered and have no idea about because there's depths of the ocean that we have never been able to travel to because of the pressure under the water. But everything we're trying to discover, God already knows and rules over because he's God over the aquatic kingdom. He's God over the atmosphere, the stratosphere, and all of the galaxies. He controls the orbits of all of the planets. They are all subject to him. I think you have an understanding that God is in charge of the earth. That he set a system of seed, time, and harvest, and vegetation, and all these things grow with a seed inside themselves. He set all the gravitational systems of the earth. He set the oxygen levels at the right level on the earth. He, he set everything in motion the way it needs to be on earth and you understand that you can go outside look in creation and see that but you may not have thought about that just like he's God over the earth he's God over Pluto he's God over Mars and Venus he's God over Saturn and Neptune we send robots into outer space to try to explore far away planets and get some kind of details and some kind of information we've studied the dirt on Mars trying to find out information and everything we're trying to study God already knows every single intricate detail because he's God of all of the planets he keeps the earth spinning on her axis he keeps all of the orbit and the rotation of the planets in line can you imagine how busy he is heaven is occupied with every soul of every person who ever died in faith can you imagine how busy he is heaven is occupied with multiplied billions of angels can you imagine how much noise there is and yet If you think a prayer, I said, if you stop and think a prayer, God values you so much that he said, I know your thoughts are far off. If you think a prayer, if you call out to God in your mind, God stops everything he's doing and gives you his full attention. Prayer is powerful. I, I get tickled sometimes when I hear people that get all up in an uproar about the government taking prayer out of schools. And I think to myself, if we really taught and understood what prayer is, we would know you can't take prayer away from me. You can't write legislation that will keep me from praying. You can't keep me from communicating to my God. Because my God hears on the frequency of thought. If I think a prayer, he comes right there where I am. Because there's sometimes when you're in some situations where you can't say anything. So God tuned his own hearing to the frequency of our thoughts and said, I want to be able to hear what you're thinking just in case you need me at a time you can't speak. What about all the mute people or the people with no tongue that can't speak and articulate? God can hear them too. If I 
I set my heart to pray, my God can hear me pray. What a mighty God we serve. And there is no limit to his hearing. God can hear and respond to one billion people praying at the same time without ever dividing his attention between them. God can hear the screaming cry of a passenger whose plane is falling in Australia. All while catching a mountain climber who said, God help me as he slipped off a cliff in Everest. While never diverting his attention away from a little boy praying in the suburbs, begging God that mama and daddy will stop fighting. He can hear it all and respond to it all at the same time. He hears the prayer of the Jew who rocks at the wailing wall and he hears the nun in the rectory with her rosary beads saying our father who art in heaven he hears the prayer of the church mother beating her tambourine and he hears the prayer of the drug addict who just overdosed in the crack house wherever you are no matter what you're doing no matter what your background is God has given the human race and human beings the privilege and the ability to be able to always pray the apostle said men ought to always pray no matter what state you're in you ought to always pray when you start talking about prayer realize that as a human being God has never created another species and then given them the privilege of prayer the mighty whales in all of their splendor cannot pray the lion, the majestic king of the jungle, has not been given the gift of prayer. Have you considered that the angels themselves are not allowed to interrupt the Almighty with their prayer request? Not even the mysterious seraphim, high-ranking angels, they're not given the ability to interrupt God Almighty. But you in spite of your weaknesses, your flaws, your past, your mess, and your pain, God has given you the invitation and the gift to pray. To interrupt him without an appointment. To just walk into his office and say, I need you. I know I normally call on you in the morning before I go to work. But it's 2 o'clock in the morning now, and my baby's got a fever. I need you. Have you ever had to call him at an unopportune time? I hate being in trouble at an unopportune time because you can't get a hold of the people that can help you at an unopportune time. But the thing I love about God is he never sleeps and he never slumbers. He never gets weary. He's never too tired. He's never too busy. Whatever I'm going through, he is always able to hear my prayer. A few things the Bible says about prayer. God said, call on me. And I will answer you. Show you great and mighty things that you know. Not of the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous. Availeth much. But you have not. Because... If ye abide in me and my word abide in you, ye shall ask whatever you will, and it shall be given unto you. If two or three of you on earth agree as touching anything, it shall be done unto you. Whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, that I will do. Why are you preaching this, preacher? Because God told me to come in and tell this church, it's time to ask again. It's time to ask again. I hope you're already asking. I hope you're sitting in your seat, muttering prayers in your heart to God. I hope you leave church today, muttering prayers in your heart to God. I hope on the way home, you're muttering prayers in your heart to God. I hope when you wake up in the morning, before you check your phone or do anything else, that you bow your heart before the Lord Almighty and begin to pray and seek His face. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways then will I hear from heaven 
I will forgive their sin. I will heal their land. But you got to pray. Push three people. Help me preach. Tell them pray, pray, pray. In our text, Solomon, as he takes over from his father, goes to Mount Gibeah for a transaction. God has always been a God of transaction. God has always been a God that has said, I will do this if you will do that. So he leads a thousand bulls up a mountain. He slaughters them all at a great financial cost to himself. And then he offers it to God. Now what they would do is they would go. They would slaughter. They would give their sacrifices to God. This is what they did in the Old Testament church. And then they would pour out their petition to him. Solomon, he goes. He leads his bulls. He sacrifices them. And he turns around and he walks away. He sacrificed without asking. So, if you go back to 1 Kings chapter 3, if you look at verse 4 and 5 upstairs, it says the king went to Gibeah to sacrifice. That was the great high place. And he offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. Next verse. And at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God says, ask, what shall I give you? Now, most times, prayer starts with a man approaching God. But Solomon's sacrifice so moved the Lord that God approached a man. This is one of the few prayers in the Bible that doesn't start with a human being going to God. It starts with God going to a human being. Because Solomon's sacrifice got the Lord's attention. And there's some people in this room this morning, I feel to tell you this. You've been making sacrifices this year. And God sent me here to tell you, your sacrifice has got his attention. But here's the problem. You haven't given your ask. So God is sending this word to inform you. He wants you to ask. Your sacrifice has gone before you. Your seed is in the ground. Now it is time to lift up your hands, raise your voice toward heaven, and have the faith to begin to pour out your petition before God every single day. A breakthrough awaits you if you have the faith to ask. I don't know who I'm preaching to. A shift in your life awaits you if you will have the faith to ask. God has seen your faithfulness. He's considered your tears. He's considered the seed you have sown but you have to stomp on every devil of affliction that would try to keep your mouth shut and keep your heart from approaching your God you need to dig down deep in your faith clear your throat open your mouth and ask it's like it's like God was bothered by the fact that Solomon didn't ask when he sacrificed it's like it's like God, you know, God's nature is reciprocal. We see that in the book of Genesis in the law first mentioned. The scripture says of every tree that the Lord created and everything, every living thing that the Lord created, he put a seed inside of itself. So God will never have to create another apple tree ever again because every apple tree has within it a seed that will reproduce after its own kind because God is a God of reciprocity. And Solomon goes to God, and he offers this incredible sacrifice, this incredible offering, and then he walks away, and he didn't get his reciprocity. And God is a debtor to no man. So when Solomon sacrificed, God comes, knocks on his door in the middle of the night, wakes him up, and says, hey, boy, we ain't done here. Ask. Oh, I just think that's heavy. I just think that's beautiful. He said, ask. And God invited Solomon into prayer by telling him to ask. Now, I want you to watch how Solomon responds. Point number one, praise is your entrance into prevailing prayer. If you ever want to know how to get started, always start with praise. Look at what he does, verse 6. 
This is Solomon's response to God saying, name what you want. What do you want me to give you? Solomon said, you have shown great mercy. That's praise right there. You have shown great mercy to your servant, David, my father, because he walked before you in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with you. And you have continued this great kindness for him. And you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. All of that's just praise. Solomon's just saying, Lord, you were good to my father. And you've been good to me. In fact, he said, great mercy. See, God's been merciful to all of us. He showed great mercy to all of us. And every one of us has a story that backs up and validates the great mercy. I don't know what your story is. I don't want to know what it is. That's between you and God. But every one of us got a story that proves and backs up that he's been very merciful to us. You can sit there if you want to, but I know what I'm saying. He has been merciful to you. There's some times you didn't deserve blessing, but you got it anyway. There's some times you didn't deserve a healing, but you got it anyway. There's some times you didn't deserve to make it home that night, but you made it home anyway. And when you look back at it, it wasn't nothing you prayed or nothing you did or nothing you earned. It was just the mercy of God. And so Solomon starts his prayer saying, oh, before I ask you anything, I want to start since we're talking. I want to start by just thanking you for your mercy. You was merciful to my crazy daddy. And then you continued that merciful, that merciful character to me. Solomon knew who he was, you know. Here I am, the love child of an illicit affair my father had with Bathsheba. Here I am, the living, walking proof that my father was an adulterer and a murderer because he murdered Bathsheba's husband. And yet, in spite of his rap sheet, you were merciful to him and you allowed me to be born out of that messy situation. You allow me with all my past to be raised up and made king. You allow me with all the skeletons in my closet to be as blessed as I am and as strong as I am. And before I ask you for anything, I got to stop and say thank you for the mercy that you've showed me. Thank you for not judging me when I deserved it. Thank you for not giving me what was coming to me. Thank you, God, because you've been merciful. You may not want to talk about it this morning, but every single one of you got something in your history that proves God is merciful. Every single one of you got some stuff following behind you that proves God is merciful. Every one of you done some things, said some things, been in some situations that proves God is merciful. And he said, you've shown, you've shown great mercy. And see, this is real praise. See, what we do most time in church is just the pediatrics of praise. It's just the cliches of praise. Lord, I want to thank you. Hallelujah to your mighty name. That, that's general. But real praise gets real specific. And you can do this when you pray because it ain't supposed to be nobody around you when you pray. You can let your memory run wild when you pray. God, you remember when I got in that mess, which that person you told me not to get in that mess with, you sent your word to warn me. You sent roadblocks that I jumped over every one of them. But God, in your mercy, you delivered me anyway. And, and before I get into this prayer session, I will stop and say, thank you, God. For pulling me out of that. Thank you, God, for being merciful to me. Thank you. That's real praise. That's real praise. That's real praise. Are there any praisers in the room? Anybody remember something that he pulled you out of? You ought to take a pause in the message. Lift up your hands and say, thank you for the mercy.
wouldn't be here this morning if it wasn't for the mercy. Wouldn't still be married if it wasn't for the mercy. Wouldn't have the job you have if it wasn't for the mercy. Wouldn't have the respect that people have for you if God hadn't covered you with the mercy. The mercy! Inadvertently, he starts the prayer the way Jesus taught his disciples to pray. When they said, Lord, teach us to pray, he said, when you pray, go into your closet, get by yourself. God who hears in secret will reward you publicly. And when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, check out the praise, hallowed be thy name. Jesus said, start with praise. Solomon started with praise. If you're stuck and you say, I don't know how to pray, start by saying, thank you. <laughs> thank you. And then say some specific stuff that you are thankful for. See, the enemy of your soul tries to totally cover you in unthankfulness and discontentment. He tries to bring up everything that's wrong to keep you from praising God. Because when you start praising God and thanking him for what is going right, a supernatural presence comes all over you. A direct portal opens that connects you to the heavenlies. When you start praising God, God inclines his ear to hear what you have to say. When you say, thank you for the house you put me in. And thank you for the transportation that you've given me. Thank you for food in my belly and clothes on my back thank you that you allowed me to meet the right people at the right places in the right time thank you that you set me up for success thank you that your plan for me was bigger and better than my plan for myself thank you that when I started out on the wrong road you diverted me in another direction to make sure I would end up in the right place that I'm at thank you I'll start to lose myself. I don't know about you. He's pulled me out of a whole lot of stuff. He's got me out of a whole lot of bad places. He's pulled me out of a whole lot of jams. He's been good to me. Has he been good to anybody? Has he been good to anybody? You ought to praise him. You ought to say thank you. You ought to stop what you're doing and stop what you're thinking and, and pull out a praise for God. He is worthy. Where's all the people he's been kind to? Where's all the people he's healed? Where's all the people he's blessed? Where's all the people he rests to? Is there a shout in the house? Is there a thank you in the house? Is there a hallelujah in the house? Is there a Lord you're worthy? God anointing all over me. Some of you, some of you that know a little something about prayer, a little, little season, didn't you know? You'll, you'll find out, I bet you you'll, I bet you you'll agree with this that it's true. You'll find out if you got a burden on you and nothing else will help, and you decide I need to pray about this, and you go in to pray about it. But you start your prayer with praise. Many times you'll find you never get out of praise into the rest of the prayer. Because when you start giving God praise, boo, he breaks the burden. When you start giving praise, you're reminded that if God be for me, he's more than the world against you. When you start to praise, you are reminded of every mountain that he's brought you over. Of every time he healed you in the past. When you start to praise, your faith is built to say, if you ever did it for me one time. 
alive. You are still the same God yesterday, today, and forever. If you was Lord of my life 10 years ago, you're still Lord of my life today. Many times, many times if you're going to God about a burden or about, about a, a warfare or about a stronghold, about something you're wanting to break, Many times if you start the prayer with praise, you won't even get out of that stage. And praise will break so many things off of you. That if you, know, if you want to pray, you can and you should. But you're no longer shackled by that thing. Hey, yeah. You're no longer shackled by that thing that you walked in the prayer room with. So Solomon starts with praise. Then point number two, put the text back up there, please. Next verse, verse seven. He said, now, he praises first, you understand. Then he says, now, O Lord, you made me king instead of my father David. Here's the problem. But I'm a little child. I don't know how to go out or come in. Point number two. When you pray, point number two. Ooh, this is a good point. I hope you like it. <laughs> I'm delaying putting it on the table because I just, you may be too sleepy to really appreciate this one this morning. I tell you what, come back next Sunday. Point number two, when you pray, channel your inner child. The power to break through prayer. And no matter how, you can be 74 years old. When you go to God, you go like a... Like a little child. Solomon's the king of the nation in a royal robe and a majestic crown. The responsibilities of the nation, all of the gross national wealth is all up under his control. He's been trained in the best schools, has the best education money can buy. He's got a family of his own at the time. He himself is a father and has little children. But when he goes to God, he lays all that down. He lays all his rolls down. He takes all his robes off. He peels the crown off of his head and said, God, when I come to you, I come like a little child. You got to channel your inner child. Because the truth of the matter is, no matter how old you are, no matter how many degrees you have, how many children of your own you have, how many responsibilities and roles that you have to keep up, the truth of the matter is, on the inside, if we go deep enough down, you're still... Just a little child. You still need daddy. Daddy. Daddy, can you help me? You never outgrow it. And if you didn't have it when you were growing up, oh, you really need it now. Don't put on that hard exterior and say, I didn't have it. I don't need it. No, no, no. You need it more than you realize that you do. But God made a way where we can go to him. The good, good father. Daddy. Daddy. Need you again. Daddy, will you help me? And he, he likes to be interrupted. You ever had somebody, you, you didn't mind them interrupting you? I don't know if you can flow with my train of thought on this. Let me just, like, have you ever kind of set yourself up to be interrupted by somebody because you loved them and wanted their attention? When I was a little boy, I used to go interrupt my dad on Saturdays. I'd knock on his study door and just barge in, okay? And, and he'd always put his pen down, and put me on his knee, and, Talk to me about whatever I had on my mind. 
And I'm trying to, like, keep the cycle going. So when I'm studying in my office, my little boy loves. Oh, my God. He loves to come interrupt me. But the truth is, what he doesn't know is, I like him to interrupt me. In fact, sometimes I leave the door cracked open when I know he's going to be coming up the stairs and around the hall to his room. I'll leave the door cracked open so he can see the light on so he'll peer inside the door. Daddy? God likes it. Maybe you didn't know that. Maybe one of the reasons you haven't been praying, maybe you interrupted people growing up that weren't happy for the interruption. Whew, that's heavy. Maybe when you busted in the door, you heard, get out of here! Maybe instead of a reception, you got a rejection. And maybe that rejection has followed you from relationship to relationship to relationship, to vocation to vocation to vocation, to person to person to person. Maybe your paradigm, the lens that you look through to see the world, maybe your paradigm is one of rejection. And maybe that's why you don't ask. Because no spiritual father ever stood up and told you that there is a father that likes to be interrupted. So he comes and he says, uh, God, I'm like a little child. All right, no, I am a little child. And uh, you've made me king. And the problem is I don't even know how to go in or go out. I don't know how to be who you've created me to be. You put me in this marriage, I don't even know how to be a spouse. You got me raising these children that you gave me, and I don't even know how to be a parent. You put me in this job that I didn't qualify for, I don't even know how to do this. I don't know how to do what you've put me in. Look at the wisdom of Solomon. He's just casting his own knowledge to the wind. Just totally denying it, saying, I don't know nothing. I don't understand nothing. I can't even think for myself. Would you help me? And Jesus said in the, in the Gospels, except we come to him as little children, that we wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. At some point in your relationship with God, you have to come as a child. And the other thing I want you to notice about that verse is the transparency. Solomon's not making faith confessions. I can do this. Solomon's saying, I have no idea what I'm doing. And see, prayer does that for you. It gives you the rare opportunity to be honest and transparent, both with God and yourself. And see, people that do not avail themselves of this opportunity for transparency get delusional. Because they start believing their own lies. You didn't hear what I said. A lot of people lie and put on a front. And they do it for a somewhat justifiable reason. They do it as a defense mechanism. Because there's a lot of sharks out there in the world. So they project things that they are not. But because they never stop and get transparent and honest with God and themselves, if you lie to others enough, you'll start to believe the lie your own self. If you lie to others enough and you're never transparent and honest to balance it, you'll start to believe and become delusional. You ever met somebody that was delusional? It was like they was living on another planet. They didn't intend to get that way. They didn't want to be crazy, what we, you know, most people call crazy. They didn't want to be that way. They got that way by never being transparent and honest. You ever, you ever talked with somebody or, or 
Look straight at me. Lived with somebody <laughs> that was never wrong. I can tell by your response. We hear. We hear. Yeah. I mean, you're the only man in the world that's never been wrong once in his life. Only woman in the world that's never wrong, never, never wrong, never gets anything wrong. You know everything. Apologize for what? I wasn't wrong. And, and you try to show them, and they think you're crazy. You're playing with me now. You ever tried to show somebody something, and I mean, you're laying it out reasonably, and they look at you, and they think you have no sense at all. You know why? They've been listening to their own lie all of their life, and they never learned how to pray and be transparent and honest, so they are completely delusional. I was trying to counsel a 17-year-old and an 8-year-old that was trying to get, or an 18-year-old, excuse me, a 17-year-old and an 18-year-old, a 17-year-old and an 18-year-old that was trying to get married, and I was trying to tell them, you know, some things that you really need to know before you get married, especially at that age, and they looked at me like I was insane. You know why? Delusional. Delusional about what life is. Delusional about expectations. Here's a good one. Delusional about finances. That one got you, didn't it? I felt it. All on your pinky toe with that just... never have any money you don't but you feel that way because you're delusional because you're never transparent hell I believe in honesty. I believe in the Ten Commandments where God said, thou shalt not lie. I believe in that. And when I fail that, or any of us fail that, we need to fall on the rock of Jesus Christ and be broken and accept his forgiveness. But. And it's a big but. You can't tell the people in your life everything. You've never been totally transparent. Most of you, the intelligent ones among you, you've never been totally transparent with a parent, with a spouse, with a girlfriend, with a boyfriend with a sister or a brother you've never been not totally you may pull back the curtain a little bit but you've never you've never just poured out all the real and the raw because we learn early on that if you do that people take advantage of what they know they take advantage of the information you give them they will judge you and manipulate you for 15 years over something you did in 15 minutes people if they have information on you if you give them too much knowledge they will hold it over your head for the rest of your life and use what you did and never consider that they are just as dark and messed up as you are but they had the sense to keep their mouth closed because man is never a fair judge man will throw you in prison for doing something his grandson just did last Saturday night get his grandson off and cover it up and throw you in prison because man is never fair therefore man does not have the capacity 
for you to be totally transparent with. My spouse loves me for who I am. We know everything about each other. Liar. Maybe everything you've done, certainly not everything you think. Certainly not everything you thought about doing. Certainly not every opportunity that you had that you didn't take. I ain't saying you weren't righteous. I'm just saying there's been some opportunities. That's right. I mean, he's just saying what everybody's thinking. Don't you hate being around people like that? They can have a bucket full of weaknesses that they carry around every day and everybody knows. Find you in one weakness and all of a sudden you're the bad one? And see, just I'll throw this in. This is extra. For spouses. You got to stop trying to be each other's Holy Spirit. Husbands, you are not the Holy Spirit for your wife. Wives, you are not. I know how much you want to be sometimes, but you are not the Holy Spirit. You are not God over your husband. God is perfectly capable of taking care of his kids. He don't need your help. When one spouse sees another spouse falling in any area of their Christianity, I'm not talking about infidelity and those kind of things because things should blow up over those kind of things. I'm talking about in any area and you start judging your spouse's Christianity. If you were such a Christian, what you going to church for? It ain't doing you no good. But see, it's because of all that kind of stuff that we hold back the curtains. But you got to take it somewhere. Now, let me just, I'm already out there. Let me just. Sometimes you need a family member, whether it's a spouse, a parent, a brother, sister, grandparent. Sometimes you need a family member to respond a certain way to you. Okay. Like if you got a really big plan coming, a really big dream, but it's fragile. Okay. It's, it's tenuous. If you take that to a family member, you know, if they're not supportive it can cause you to doubt yourself. If they're too supportive yet uninterested to give any counsel, it can lead you into a blind fall. So you need a balanced answer. You know, you ever been in a spot where you just needed to talk to somebody to give you a balanced answer? I had something happen to me Friday night. Hacked me off. I said hacked because I didn't think you'd like the other word. I <laughs> hacked me off, you know. Really upset me, you know. And it had to do with business, you know. And, and there's a lot of things I was thinking about doing. <laughs> Tried to call my wife. Well, it's 11.45. It's... it's she, she's in sleep. She's sleeping. The kids are asleep. Tried to call my dad. Their phones are off. And, and I'm going through, I promise you, I'm going through my contacts trying to find somebody I can call at 11.45 p.m. on Friday night because I needed somebody balanced, you know. And finally, I had to put my phone down and talk to God about it. And see, sometimes when you take things that are those kind of sticky issues and you take them to your spouse or your or your family members or or certain people that you work with the answer that comes back can be so damaging 
That's why you've got to develop this place of prayer with God where not only can you come and be completely transparent and air it all out, but the response that comes back to you is not damaging and crushing. The response is always balanced and for your good. So he praises. He comes like a child. He's transparent. Number four, in his request, he prioritizes purpose over provision. It's not that he's not going to ask for provision. God stopped him in the prayer before he could. It's not that he's not going to ask God to bless him and provide for him. But before he asks for provision, he asks for purpose. He says, therefore, give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to keep this great people of yours? Verse 10. And the speech pleased the Lord. The reason it pleased the Lord or moved the Lord is because before Solomon asked for anything for himself, he prayed according to his purpose, to his purpose. Who's his? God's purpose. God, you've made me king. I don't know what I'm doing. God, you've put me in this place in my life. I don't know what I'm doing. Would you give me an understanding heart? Would you help me be effective in my purpose? And when you pray with purpose in mind, it always moves and pleases the heart of God. I don't know what my purpose is. Every wife in here, one of your primary purposes is to be the best wife that you can. Every husband in here, one of your first primary purposes is to be the best husband you can. Every parent in here, one of your primary purposes is to be the best parent you can. You ought to pray about that. God, help me be a better parent. God, help me be a better spouse. Give me understanding for my spouse. Give me understanding for my children. Give me an understanding heart. Then if you have a job, that's one of your purposes. God made us to work. God intended for us to work. You ought to pray, Lord, make me effective in the work of my hands and bless the work of my hand. Let my company be best blessed just because I'm a part of it. Make me the best one in the room. Make me the wisest one in the room. Make me the most promoted in the room make me a blessing in that place pray in alignment with your purpose this goes right along with the Lord's prayer that Jesus taught father in heaven hallowed be thy name that's the praise what's next thy kingdom come before he said give us this day our daily bread that's provision he said pray in alignment for purpose well you got lots of stuff you can pray about pray in alignment for purpose and the speech Moved the Lord. And it moved the Lord so much. Verse 11. Look at what God said. I'm closing. God said, because you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies. Pastor John, you see what God just did right there? He revealed what Solomon had in mind to ask. But instead, he prioritized purpose. You understand what I'm saying? He said, because you prioritized purpose and you didn't ask for long life or riches or of the life of your enemies, because you have asked for understanding to discern justice. Next verse. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart. There's not going to be anyone like you before you or anyone after you. Next verse. Next verse. And I have also given you what you have not asked. God always gives extra when you pray. When you pray in proper alignment, when you seek his face, God always gives extra. I came to tell Christian world this morning, the reason we're going into this prayer conference, the reason we're preaching these messages, prayer of Jabez, prayer of Solomon today, ask, the reason we're doing this is God is challenging this people, these families, these marriages, these parents, this group. God is saying, I want you to ask. And when you do, not only am I going to give you what you ask for, but I'm going to give you exceeding abundantly. Let me prophesy into your spirit. I know you're tired. God said, I'm going to give you exceeding abundantly. And above all you ask or think, according to the power that works in you by the Holy Spirit of God, I speak over you 
the spirit of prayer, the spirit of expectation, the spirit of digging down deep and believing again, the spirit of going before God in true transparency, emptying out all the sludge, the muck, and the mire, and saying, God, it's me. I'm like a little child. God, I need you. Help me with where I'm at. Help me with my place in life. Help me with my position. Help me with what I'm going through. Help me, and I need you to give me understanding. Give me wisdom. Make me one with your heart for me. Put me in your purpose. It's not my will. It's your will. I want to do what you want me to do. My will is aside. My plans are aside. What do you want me to do? And when you pray like that, God always says, God always says, not only am I going to give you what you asked, I'm going to give you extra more than enough. Stand to your feet. I, I hope you'll carry. Oh, I just feel it. Yeah. I feel like what the Holy Spirit wants to do right now you ever seen uh, you ever seen the way that they stick a syringe into a vial and they draw what's encapsulated out into the syringe that's what I see I see that God wants to draw some poison out of your spirit draw some delusion out of your spirit draw some unhonest ways of thinking out of your spirit everybody bow your heads I want the elders to come if some of the issues to, that the word raised in the text today if some of that was for you some of that hit you I want you to come we're going to pray for you and today God is going to draw out some poison that the enemy put there today God is going to fix some disillusion today God is going to fix some things in your heart if you need prayer for any area of your life I want you to come down now I want you to come down now Candace what you sing that sing I've heard a thousand stories Listen, I hope, I hope you'll go home and ask. I hope you'll get up in the morning and ask. I hope when the warfare comes and the attacks come, I hope you won't revert back to old methods of dealing with it. I hope you'll just lift up your head and ask. I charge your spirit with the faith of produced by the word of God to ask ask it shall be given seek and you will find knock and the door I prophesy open doors 41 of them within the next 10 days 41 doors within the next 10 days 41 doors that means there's 41 people in here I don't know who you are I don't know where you are 41 people in here you've been standing in front of a barred door a locked door I prophesy in the name of I prophesy in the name of Jesus Christ as you ask seek and knock that door is going to open come on put up your hands say that door is going to open when I ask in Jesus name Give the Lord a hand praise all over the house.
In fact, if you got, if you're one of those 41 people, get $41. If you're one of those 41 people, I want you to do what Solomon did. I want you to make a sacrifice before you ask. I want you to make a sacrifice before you ask. I want you to climb the mountain, make a sacrifice before you ask. I ain't talking to everybody. You ain't got to give $41. You can give whatever you want to give, or you don't have to give nothing. But if you're one of those 41 people, you're standing at a blocked door. You need something to open up for you. I'm talking about you're actively trying to submit something, and it's not going through. You're trying to, to land something, and it's not happening. You're, you're, you're trying to purchase a home, and it's not going through. You're standing in front of a barred door. I want you to get you a seed. I want you to get you a seed. I want you to get you a seed. Just your $41 seed. Just your $41 seed. Get you a $41 seed. Watching me online, get you a $41 seed. It's an offering into the kingdom of God. Get you a $41 seed. Watch that door. Get you a $41 seed and watch that door. Watch that door. Now don't forget to ask. Don't forget to name it in prayer. Don't forget to ask God for it. But you sow this seed and you watch that door. I said you watch that door. You watch that door. <laughs>